This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Morgan's Pop Talks. What's up? How's the week going? I'm excited to get into all things pop culture, reality TV this week. We are finally going to get to our deep dive on the newest Real Housewife of Beverly Hills, Diana Jenkins, and it is juicy. We're also going to do a little bit of a Bachelorette recap at the end because I know you guys have some thoughts on this season with Gabby and Rachel. But before we get started, let's just go ahead and address the elephant in the room. And it's actually the gather sign in the room because if you... No, you know, on my Instagram, I have been getting apartment shamed literally for my decor choices. And look, y'all know I'm just a girl from the Midwest here in Ohio. I'm not an influencer in LA or New York. So don't shame me for having literally zero taste or style when it comes to decorating my apartment. It's old. There's no shame in my game. I pay for it by myself. My landlord He's honestly like 97 years old. He built this building with his bare hands. He's from Italy. He has a garden. He brings me like tomatoes and lettuce and stuff. So why would I ever want to leave? So don't shame me for having an old apartment and the gather sign. So, you know, I'm trying to bring y'all into my world. You know, David, he's a riot. My fiance, who's here from London. And and anytime I put him on the stories, the ladies just love him. Let's just <laughs> put it that way. But y'all were roasting me about my gather sign that I have on my television stand. I mean, unwarranted opinions, by the way. I never asked. <laughs> But you all are like, Morgan, you have to get rid of that gather sign. So I was telling David about it. I was like, can you believe these people are apartment shaming me? And he was like, what? I thought this whole time that it said father. And I was like, we're getting married in a year. And you thought I had a father sign in my living room for the past four years? So now it's a whole thing. Gather, father, Maybe we can get like some gather merch to sponsor the pod or the pages, but I will not stand for the gather slander any longer. Okay. Team gather. If you know, you know. Okay. Anyways, that was a bit of a tangent. I just had to get it off my chest. Let's get into the pop three. These are the three biggest headlines of the week. And I want to start with something that actually happened last week, but we did some digging and we found out answers to Austin Kroll on Watch What Happens Live. Austin went on Watch What Happens Live last week, and of course, he talked all about Madison. Now, some people are like, oh my gosh, Austin cannot shut up about Madison. But Madison was on the week before, and she also talked a lot about Austin. So the content that these two give is just so unmatched. I live for the never-ending feud. So Austin was saying, I really don't want to be in another headline with my ex. And then he spills all this tea about how he got with Lindsay after Madison, quote, did something with someone of notoriety, another public figure. And then Father Andy, I mean, he's 
in there. He knows exactly what to do. He's like sports person, actor, reality star, Bravo, MTV, the best. Like he was ready for it. Even though Austin was sitting there like, I don't want to say. And he just knows. He knows how to get to the root of an issue. So obviously, like I said, and he was like, is it a sports person? He said, no, an actor. He kind of like paused, but then he said, no, reality star. Yes. On Bravo, no. On MTV, no. From The Bachelor, a little bit of a pause. And he says, Tyler Cameron. Can confirm it's not Tyler Cameron. Can confirm it is a Bachelor Nation member. Which is maybe why he hesitated at the word actor. Because, like, at this point, aren't they all a little bit (laughs) of actors? Um, It's not Eric Decker, which a lot of people thought. Are you ready for who this person is that... Austin was speaking of. I don't know if you can hear, but I'm giving a little drum roll on my computer. It was Josh Murray, which is disappointing. Like, why is Josh Murray still a thing? To jog your mems, Josh Murray won Andy Dorfman's season of The Bachelorette. They broke up. Then he went on to Bachelor in Paradise and got engaged to Amanda Stanton. And then they broke up. Josh Murray also... If you remember the deep dive I did on the Chrisley family, if not, go back and listen to a great episode. Todd Chrisley from Chrisley Knows Best had said that his estranged daughter, Lindsay, had an extramarital affair with Josh Murray. So Josh Murray definitely dates the reality stars. It's 2022. Why is Josh Murray still a thing? There you have it. Coming in number two in this week's pop three more Bachelor Nation reality star. Is it drama? Not really. Blake and Natalie from Love is Blind spending lots of time time together. So this is Blake Moynes and Natalie Lee. They're saving the turtles at the Four Seasons Resort. Nevis, I think is how you pronounce it. I only know because they have to hashtag it in every single Instagram story that they post, which to me means like it's a paid sponsored um, thing. But people were freaking out when they saw this online. And I didn't think anything it, anything of it at first. I still really don't think anything of it. You know, they're there to save the turtles, which is super cute. Um, but the Instagram stories, man, they're heavy. I checked this morning and Natalie had an Instagram story up that said iced coffees hit different on vacation. And then she was like cheersing who I think was Blake, but like vacation, I thought it was like a philanthropy activity. Is it both? I don't know. Um, They both have the same PR person. Pretty much everyone in Bachelor Nation has Lori Kay as their PR person. And I think that's Natalie's PR person as well. So it's kind of like reality TV incest where they all have the same mom and then they all just like meet up at different family events. You know, like, oh, we got this red carpet. We're going to see Shane from Love is Blind. We're going to see Tom Sandoval. You know, it's just like, it just is like a parallel universe of reality TV stars that all meet up when they do Lori Kay events. Um, I don't think anything romantic is going on here, but I don't think I would hate them together. It, it would take me a second, but they're both cute. They're both like a little bit quirky. Um, so maybe I think that they both just like love the speculation and being mentioned in podcasts like this one. So you are welcome, Blake and Natalie 
and I hope that you continue to save the turtles. You're doing a great job. Our final headline in this week's pop three, Erica Jane served a $50 million lawsuit at the airport. Welcome back to the Girardi files. Oh my God. It's been a minute. If you know, you know, we started the Girardi files, like honestly, November 3rd of when was it? 2020, 2019, whenever the election was, I don't remember the day that Erica and Tom, I don't know if they released the statement or whatever, but news broke that they were getting a divorce. It was the same day as the election. I mean, the universe, something must have been off on that day. I had to take a break from the Girardi files because it was wild trying to keep up with every little legal activity that was going on between Tom and Erica and Ronald Richards and Edelson PC. And we'll get to all of those lovely people here in a second. But Erica Jane was served a $50 million lawsuit at the airport after she returned home from a Hawaiian vacation. That packet was thick. Like it kind of looked like my eighth grade social studies book where we were literally learning, you know, 50 years worth of things. But a $50 million lawsuit's got to be pretty thick, I guess. So This woman comes up to her. They catch it on video, which to me says that the paparazzi were tipped off, probably from Ronald Richards, who's getting a little weird. And we'll get into that in a second. But, you know, this woman comes up to Erica at the airport. It's all on video. She says, I just wanted to give you these documents. This is a summons and complaint to serve you. And then it was all over page six the next day. So according to page six, the lawsuit was filed, obviously, by Edelson Edelson PC. It accuses Erica Jane of nine charges, included racketeering, conspiracy to commit racketeering, unlawful business practice and deceit, among others. In relation to the ongoing legal drama involving estranged ex-husband Tom Girardi, although she's he's not technically her ex-husband yet because they are still married. Um, This is a quote that says Tom and Erica routinely misappropriated client settlement money to project an image of wealth, and to prop up a lifestyle made for reality TV. The lawsuit also alleges that Erica's company, EJ Global, quote, was created for the purpose of funneling money from Girardi Keys to benefit Erica. The docs accuse Erica of flaunting her lavish lifestyle and acting as the front woman of the operation, selling to the world that Girardi Keys was successful. Okay, Um, you know, if I've said it once, I've said it a million times, not a lawyer, but I'm not entirely sure why this lawsuit is any different from the others in the past. I mean, I know that there have been a couple where they have decided to change jurisdiction. Um, so I don't know. It kind of sounds like same as different day, you know, back to Ronald Richards, who, like I said, getting a little bizarre, they're always fighting on the internet. Erica Jane and Ronald Richards. I would love for him to make a cameo on the Raw Housewives Beverly Hills because it would hit the fan. But anyways, you know, Erica and Tom had to sell their mansion, but nobody was buying it. So Ronald put in an offer on their house, which, come on. Come on. You had us on your team, Ronald. We were team RR. Hashtag it. But this is weird. A $6.9 million offer on Erica and Tom's old house just seems like next level. But stranger things have happened in Hollywood. 
All right. Now we're going to get to the part of the show where we do our deep dive submissions. Every single week on my Instagram at Morgan P Talks, I open up the deep dives for you. I almost did it this week because of all the gather slander. It happened right after each other, but you know, for the people, by the people, what is it that you want to know more about? So this week, our deep dive comes to us from Chelsea. Hey, Morgan, this is Chelsea from Kelowna, BC, Canada. I've been waiting for a deep dive on Diana Jenkins. What's the story behind the book? And do you think she is a one season housewife? Love your pod. And thanks for choosing my deep dive this week. Thank you, Chelsea. Love you like a sis. Let's do it. A deep dive all about Diana Jenkins, the newest addition to the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Diana has quite a rap sheet. And I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way. I think on paper, she is housewife's gold. um, But I don't think that necessarily translated, you know, with what we're seeing on TV. And I will discuss all of it. So according to her Wikipedia, she is an entrepreneur and philanthropist who was born and raised in Bosnia. We know, as she said on the show, she grew up very poor. Uh, The outbreak of the war in 1992 forced her to flee from her home in Bosnia and spend more than a year than in Croatia as a refugee before immigrating to London. So she's in London for a little bit of time. She goes to school there. She graduates with a degree in computer science and economics from City University, London. So Diana worked a variety of jobs while she was in London, slowly saving up enough money to launch her own jewelry store. So we're kind of going to look at how she became as rich as she is, honey. Um, so like I said, she was doing that jewelry store and then she was slowly saving money using the jewelry store success to then partner with a swimwear line with the model Melissa Odebash. Maybe is how you say it. We're just going to go with it. Act confident. So Melissa Odebash, they co-launched this swimwear line. That's what it's actually called. And because it was very successful, successful celebrities was using that swimwear line like Kate Moss, uh, Heidi Klum, a bunch of really like recognizable names. So from there, she kind of branched off into a bunch of different businesses because she was so successful in the first one. One of them also being a health drink company called NeuroDrinks. It's like a healthy alternative to soda and caffeine. Um, It promotes sleep, reduces stress, boosts immunity, and increase energy. Sounds like she needs to be like drinking more of that on the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Um, So she's the chairperson and CEO of the company. She also founded and is the CEO of D Empire Entertainment. It is a full-service music label that represents emerging and established artists within the intersection of traditional and innovative media strategy, branding, publicity, recording, distribution, and licensing. Like straight off the Wikipedia page, that one was. Okay, so she's got a lot going on. Clearly, she's very business-oriented. She knows how to build a brand. She knows how to make that money, honey. Now, on to her first husband, which, let's be honest, is where the majority of her hus- of her money came from. In 1999, she married British banker Roger Jenkins. The two met at the gym. We've heard her talk about this on the show. And he owned Barclays Bank. Um, they had two children together before divorcing after a total of 10 years together. And she said on the show, it was the happiest divorce ever. I would think so. You know how much she got in that divorce settlement? $300 million. I mean, 
I would be the happiest divorce person ever if I got $300 million out of it. So all that was still going on in London. She eventually moved to Malibu. She's won lots of awards, done lots of philanthropic work. So on paper, like I said, she is real housewives gold. I get it from the casting standpoint of why they would want her to come on the show. Also, a little bit of controversy surrounding Diana Jenkins. We'll get into that now. And it's all about her book, Room 23. And you remember they talked about this on the show. She quickly shut it down. So in 2009, Diana published Room 23. It was a coffee table photo book that featured very racy photos of some familiar faces, George Clooney, Cindy Crawford, Hayden Panettiere, Amanda Bynes, Lisa Renna. The book depicts a year in the life of a Beverly Hills penthouse, and then all proceeds from the book were donated to charity. So here are where the rumors come in, and they are that rumors, okay, all allegedly lawyers, according to Distractify, the book became a major controversy. The rumor was that the book, Room 23, was a front for like a secret call girl ring. So in this book were all the people that you could quote unquote purchase. So they allege that Diana was working as a madam connecting high-end Hollywood prostitutes with clients overseas. So as you probably remember in the episode, like I said, the conversation about the book was quickly shut down. Can't say that I blame her. Um, She said, this is a quote just to jockey your memory from the show. I don't particularly want to talk about the book tonight because it took a lot of money, a lot of time to achieve what I did, but it backfired. All these rumors started. It was like an offense of my character. Um, We didn't really get like too much into the details of the book. I don't know if that was maybe the show wanting to protect her or maybe she just, you know, like she said, didn't want to talk about it. But this obviously introduces a whole new audience to the story when she gets on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And I mean, you know, the fandom are relentless. So someone then on an account called NT wrote a tweet with a photo. It's a picture of a young Donald Trump, Jeffrey Jeffrey Epstein, and then a young model with like a short blonde bob. And the account is insinuating that that woman is Diana. Diana reposts the photo to her own account saying that is absolutely not me. How dare you insinuate that I was running around with uh, Jeffrey Epstein? This is what she said in the caption of that photo. When these men were doing whatever they were doing, I was a broke refugee in London with no passport, no name, no country, no family, no one to help me, surviving on barely any food, sending whatever I could to my parents in Bosnia to survive, working three jobs to put myself to college, okay? So then she kind of changes her tune from that to go straight at this NT person that posted this and said, you knew the truth and yet you did this. Um, Screw you for putting me in the same bag with this monster. And then she revealed that the photo was taken in 1997 at a Victoria's Secret party and that the model is called Ingrid um, Sainhaven. Yep. That's how we're going to say it. Speaking of Victoria's Secret, 
David and I just started um, that documentary and we only watched the first episode of like how Epstein gets wiggles his way into Les Wexner's life, the Victoria's Secret Empire, yada, yada, yada. So maybe, maybe I'll see Ingrid in that documentary. Who knows? Okay. So like we all know, I mean, housewives get put under a lot of pressure and a lot of public scrutiny, but like to be linked to Epstein, oof, that's like next level. So then on May 10th of this year, Diana um, has the former president of Bosnia like make a video on her behalf. I don't know if she made him do that. It's posted on her Instagram. You can find it. And he names her as his honorary advisor and said she was a sponsor of multiple projects to help those in need. So she takes that like, yes, I'm being named this honorary advisor. But the caption, she uses it to address the rumors that she's a madam. So The caption says, let's put ridiculous madam rumors to rest once and for all. This is the first time I'm speaking on this subject. Fake news are powerful tools in hands of an enemy. I spent my adult life fighting for human rights and bringing war criminals to justice. She talks about that for a minute. And then she says, but unfortunately, I paid the price with these fake rumors designed to assassinate my character and discredit me from world politics and speaking on Bosnia behalf sadly for them it was in vain i mean wow deep stuff am i right i mean hence why it needed a whole freaking deep dive um so to answer your last question chelsea do i think she's a one-hit wonder on the show yeah i do i mean the audience really does not resonate with her like i said on paper she has all the makings to be a great housewife especially in Beverly Hills. I mean, she has it all. She has the wealth. She has, you know, an intriguing story. She's friends with celebrities. Um, But on the other hand, I don't really think that she knew what she was getting herself into. Let's think back to the scene about the Elton John fundraiser where Sutton and Lisa are going back and forth on, did you pay for the table? Did you not pay for the table? Did you back out last minute? And Diana's like, oh, this is so unclassy like don't you dare bring out those receipts i was like girl do you do you know where you are right now you are on the real housewives of beverly hills this is like a tuesday afternoon walk in the park with kyle's two dogs that like to eat sushi off you know the kitchen table like i just don't think she realized that she was about to be on the real housewives of beverly hills and what that entails i think a good housewife Brings a combination of things to the show. Obviously, like I said, wealth, an intriguing personality, whether that be it, you know, warrants a good response out of you or a bad response, whether it be like a Kyle or an Erica or maybe even a Teddy. Well, I guess I shouldn't say that because she did get fired, but humor and drama, you know, those all go into being a good housewife. Diana has not made me laugh one time, not once. I don't even think I've cracked a And while her life story is interesting, I just think that her scenes are kind of boring in the realm of being a real housewife. So prediction. Yes, I think Diana Jenkins is a one and done on the Real Housewives Beverly Hills. I think she will be fine hanging out with Alton John and other celebrities. And that's that.
Okay, to wrap up this week's episode of MPT, I want to do a little Bachelorette recap because this season of The Bachelorette, Bachelorette has been warranting some reaction. So let's just go ahead and dive right into it. Rachel and Gabby on this week's episode, they're ready to lay down the law. Like from the top ropes, I imagine them climbing up in a WWE ring, like getting ready to just I don't know what the what the move is called when you put your elbow on somebody. I don't know. I watched wrestling maybe twice in my life, but that's just what I'm thinking. Um, and have the guys decide who they want to focus on. In the episode, we bounce for we bounce back and forth between Rachel and Gabby. I'll recap them one at a time and give you my thoughts. So we'll start with Rachel because she's the one that starts things off with a one-on-one date with Zach and Karamo, which I love, I think. In like a perfect world, I would love for all the guys on Queer Eye to host Paradise. How amazing would that be? Karamo, Jonathan, Anthony, my biggest celebrity crush, Bobby, and Tan, France, on the on the beaches in Mexico, I would die. I would absolutely decease. Okay, anyways, back to Zach and Rachel. Zach, like he knows what he wants. He's like, yes, I'm here for the real deal. I'm ready. We're vibing. We're connecting over watching airplanes as a child. And then I saw that he's only 25. Mm, It pains my soul. I don't like it. He looks like he's 32. He looks like he's ready to like settle down, have kids. Rachel's only 26, which I guess it's fine. But like, no offense if you got married when you were 25 and 26, but I was just not mature enough to be married at age 25. Like, I did not know what the heck I was doing. I still really don't, but I feel like I've matured enough to, like, you know, be somebody's wife. I don't know. Ask David. So I thought the date was really cute. At first, I thought I was, like, a little confused about the movie date because I was like, okay, they have, like, two dates to figure out if. Um, you're going to marry this person. So not a lot of time to take them to a movie premiere where they sit in silence and don't speak to each other. But then it was like a fake out. It wasn't an actual movie. It was a home movie, you know, video footage of uh, baby Ray and, and baby Zach. I want to know how they got so much video footage of Zach. Like they had to have known pretty far in advance that he was going to have the one-on-one and he got all that. They got all that video footage from his family. Or maybe they made every guy do it, but that is excessive. So I'm thinking that it just like is a little glimmer into how it's not like entirely random. Okay. Anyways, we're giving final rose energy for Zach and Rachel. Like I said, he seems very mature for 25, very sincere. The age worries me, but I will give him the benefit of the doubt. Gabby, on the other hand, having a bit of a rough go. Uh, she gets to go over and hang out with the guys while Rachel's on her one-on-one, and we see the lack of eth- effort. And Gabby's very upset by it, by the guys not really uh, paying attention to her. They're paying more attention to throwing the football. Gabby, welcome to life. I'm getting married, and nine times out of ten when I'm having a conversation with my fiancé, he's playing with the indoor putting green that my neighbor so kindly gave to him. So like that just is what it is. I think sometimes it can come across as people not trying to be rude. Like I don't think it's a lack of effort, but I think when, you know, Gabby shows up to the house unannounced 
it's not like a cocktail party. It's not like they're supposed to pull your foot. Chat. No, I got to do it again. I've been watching so much Love Island. Can I pull your foot? No, God. I, I live with someone who's half British. <sighs> Let me try again. Can I pull you for a chat? It's horrific. So we're just going to leave it at that. It's highs and lows with Gabby. She's already like spiraling. I wasn't ready for full-blown tears 18 minutes in. It makes me think like, what are they doing to these women behind the scenes where we're in week three and we're already like having the conversation that we're unlovable? Obviously, as we get deeper into the episode, we peel back the layers of the onion to why Gabby feels that way. Um, and we'll get to that, but after that, it's Gabby's turn, you know, for a one-on-one with Eric, AKA mini Nick Vial, Nick Vial with a slight mullet. And this date is all about grandpa John, which to me, like, yes, the whole earth rejoices when they see grandpa John on the TV, but way too early for that kind of date. The date is now about grandpa John and it's not about Gabby and Eric's potential connection. I feel like you could tell Eric was totally not about it. Um, but at the same time, it's like the grandpa John was the best part of the episode. So am I really mad about it? Absolutely not. I just cannot believe he went on the entire date with them. Not only the little sound situation, He then goes bowling with them. I did not hear one word from Eric the entire date until the dinner portion when Grandpa was not there. It just goes to show that they really don't care about the potential connection. They care about making good TV. Grandpa John, great television. But like I said, you have two dates to figure out if you're going to marry this person. Not the time to be campaigning for Grandpa John for senior bachelor, although he really should be. Um, and then even at the dinner portion, we hear like nothing from Eric. Gabby is really, like I said, peeling back the layers of the onion to who she is. And like, all we hear from Eric is, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's not like a, he's not like a, what's the word I'm looking for? Is he an undercover villain? Maybe he's not glaring villain. You know what I mean? He's not a Yosef. But it's like, bro, she's crying and you're just saying, yeah. Then like she comes back to the table and he says, like, I'm trying to get comfortable with it. So maybe he's just not comfortable in front of the cameras, but you're on The Bachelor and you probably applied to be on the show. If he's in apply, you definitely talk to producers. So like get comfortable, Eric. Uh, and like I said, the dinner portion makes the earlier scenes make more sense where Gabby opens up about, you know, the struggles in her childhood and, and being a little bit different. Um, which I hate that she views herself as, as different. We're all different, like in our own ways. You know, I love Gabby. I think she's super fun. I think she's super cute. Um, for as much as she wants to call herself a dingbat, I think she's incredibly smart. She's an ICU nurse. I think anytime she gets in these situations where she has like emotional vulnerability, I think she articulates herself in a really mature way. She expresses her feelings really well. So I don't like that she thinks of herself like she's different because I think she's awesome. Um, okay. We get to the group date with the photographer. I really want to know if he actually takes pictures. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, or like if he's just there just to be there. There's a car wash. There's a family photo shoot. They're in a plane. They're in a hospital. There's like a little Adam and Eve moment. There's proposals. Obviously, they're, you know who the front runners are, Tino and Logan. They got to propose um, to Rachel. Tyler and Nate, also front runners. They got to propose to Gabby. Nate is just like the sweetest human of all time. I can't handle it. He's too pure. And then they go back to a football stadium at night. Um, this time they aren't playing football. They're just hanging out there, I guess. Um, it's the only place that they could fit all 25 of them was in like this huge um, stadium. It doesn't go good for Gabby, who gets dumped by three different guys. She doesn't give out her rose. Um, Gabby gives hers to Avon. And like I said, just a rough night for Gabby. Hayden called her rough around the edges. Horrible way to describe it. <laughs> Absolutely horrible way to describe it. He addressed it on his Instagram this week. He said, um, I'm reading the caption because, you know, once a week on MT MPT, we got to read an Instagram caption. He says, what a night with so many emotions going on. I have to say I have an overwhelming amount of respect for Gabby and Rachel. Looking back, I can definitely say I may not be the most eloquent with words at times, but I aim my heart in the direction of my intentions. Extremely glad Rachel saw me for who I am inside and allowed me to continue the journey with her. I don't know if I'm remembering incorrectly, but I feel like last week was a hard one for Rachel. I feel like she was crying a lot and this week. Gabby is trying is crying a lot. So I feel like even though they're the edit is like, yes, they're going through like emotional torment. <laughs> they're trying to make it seem like, well, we're not like pitting these women against each other because they're both going through it in different ways. And this is what happens when you have two bachelorettes, but it's not like they're competing against each other. They're just having a shared experience in rejection, which is not what you want. Um, okay. I think in a normal season of The Bachelorette, this is a hot take. This is a hot take. In a normal season of The Bachelorette, they all have to pretend to like the lead. Do you think they all actually really like the lead as much as they portray? You got to go over the top, like beyond to make it past week three. You're trying to compete with 30 different people. If you're like, eh, I'm trying to still really figure out if I like you or not, no, absolutely not. You are not getting a rose. So I know a lot of people are angry about how the guys are quote unquote rejecting Gabby and Rachel, but what's the alternative? Like they're mad when guys are interested in both of them. Then they're upset when guys say, I like one more than you, or I would rather go this way. So it's like, what did you expect? What did you expect them to do? Unless Gabby and Rachel make it known on night one what guys are there for who, you're always going to run into that problem. And I actually think that them saying who they're more interested in in the long run is a good thing. And that's what makes true love so special because you can't find it with just anyone. All 30 guys cannot fall head over heels in love with one lead enough to make her his wife at the end of it. I guess I just, a lot of people are complaining online and look, I get it, but 
it comes with the territory of having two bachelorettes. There's really no other way to go about it. And yes, the network could have chosen not to do two bachelorettes. A lot of people wanted that. Caitlin Bristow has been very vocal about the fact that she thinks that they should never have had two bachelorettes. I, I honestly don't care either way. I don't care if it's one or two. I want to be entertained by this show. And right now, I am. Another canceled cocktail party. In the midst of all this, I asked David what he thought of like having the two bachelorettes. And he was like, like stone cold face. He's like, it's a producer's dream. Which, yes. Like, I know it's messed up. But I'm entertained and I like it. Okay. Would you rather guy be honest and reject your rose or tell you what you want to hear and eventually be heartbroken and then blindsided in the long run? What I don't like about having the two bachelorettes is like their insecurities being used against them. You know, like Gabby clearly has a lot of emotional scarring from the way that she was raised from her relationship with her mother. And even if it's not intentional of the producers, like that's going to get mixed up in there with her emotions. And I think that that's sad that it's kind of, instead of a journey about, you know, her finding the love of her life, it's now more, a. I don't want to say it's a journey of rejection because it's really not. It just stirs up those old emotions, which I, I don't like that. I'll say that, but am I entertained? Sure. They both have nine guys left. Um, they're going to Paris. I think they're going to be okay. I think they both have a good solid group of guys, even though I feel like nine is not a lot. Um, you know, this early in the process, they normally have like mm, like 12 to 15, I would say, but they're getting ready to jet set around the world. They're getting ready to strengthen their connections. Everybody goes through a little bit of a rough go when they're the lead or even a contestant. At the end of the day, they'll all be influencers and they'll live happily ever after, hopefully with their fiancés and soon-to-be husbands. And my final point, this is the only thing I have in my notes in all capital letters. It says, Meatball 15918. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming that means at one hour and 59 minutes and 18 seconds out pops meatball because I thought he went home, but he's in all the previews for next week. So also at the very end of the episode, I know we see him go talk to Rachel, but um, I was watching streaming the next day and it cut off their conversation. So is meatball in the game? I don't know. We'll find out next week. Thank you guys again for tuning in to another episode of Morgan's Pop Talks. I hope you have as much fun as I do. If you do have fun, if you love the pod, if you're not going to stop following me because I have a gather sign from the year 2012 in my living room, leave a review, subscribe to the pod. Heck, send it to a pop culture loving friend if you're feeling up to it. It all means the world to me. Give me a little five star, boop, boop, little rating, little nice word. I love you like a sis, and I'm not throwing the gather sign away. We'll see you next week. Ahura Media Production.